Welcome to Sofa Security Chat Chat, episode 198. For the 14th of May, 2015, I'm Chester Wisniewski, coming to you from Vancouver and chatting with my friend Paul Ducklin. Hello, Chester. Happy winter, which is kicking in in my part of the world. Yeah, well, you know, not everybody's gotten the memo yet. As I've been making my way around the U.S. and Canada the last few days, it's been uh, much more spring-like, very dramatic weather, in fact. Nonetheless, uh, marching toward the next season, which uh, those of us in the Northern Hemisphere are very much looking forward to. Talking of seasons that you're looking forward to, a little bell's ringing my head that says yesterday was Tuesday. Yes, I, I got out of Seattle just in time to avoid the, the, uh, all the excitement of Update Tuesday, as it's uh, become known in Redmond. And, uh, you know, I, there's nothing spectacular about this particular Update Tuesday to talk about other than, um, you know, your standard uh, IE fixes, Office, Microsoft Link, Silverlight, all having remote code execution vulnerabilities. In this particular update, Microsoft released uh, 13 patches that fix 46 different uh, CVEs or vulnerabilities. As always, there's the IE patch rollup is kind of the high priority one if you're concerned about getting attacked by drive-by exploits on web pages and that type of thing, which is one of the more common ways that computers get infected. But, you know, there's not really a, a standout fix or vulnerability that's any more important than any other one. Um, as usual, our advice is get them all done as quickly as you can. Well, there is a vulnerabilities in Windows kernel mode drivers could allow elevation of privilege, Chester, uh, at the rating of important. Those always get you a bit uh, agitated, don't they? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, do, I disagree with the rating system that Microsoft often uses. Um, and unfortunately, I have seen some murmurings on Twitter that suggest there may be a flaw in one of the patches again, where Windows 7 machines are not rebooting correctly after the application of the patches. No one seems to have identified which one is causing the problem, um, but at least it's not critical. It's not creating blue screens. It, it's a situation, my understanding, where um, the machine just doesn't finish rebooting after the patches have been applied and you power it down by holding down the power button for three seconds. And then when it powers back up, it's just fine. Obviously, in a corporate environment, um, that could be a bit of a hassle if you automate patching at off hours. So hopefully we'll learn a little more about that as the week rolls on. But it's not just Microsoft uh, this time. Firefox. They have 40 Tuesday, as you and I jokingly call it, every six weeks. Um, but Firefox 38 just came out, and that has a bunch of fixes as well. I think five critical. So again, that's an important one to grab. Uh, I imagine most people these days will be getting their Firefox updates automatically. If you don't, then you can just go to About Firefox, and that will make it check for you. Yeah, yeah, precisely. And I, I think uh, Apple released another Safari update this week. And, uh, you know, same type of thing. You should be able to just go into your system updates and, and uh, or go into the App Store and, and do a check for updates. And you should receive the latest Safari edition for uh, your Mac. But don't leave out Adobe. They've had, they've had patches in recent months, uh, either for just for Flash or just for Reader. This time it's both of them. And my understanding is that uh, in both of those products, Flash and Reader, there are CVEs patched that include potential remote code execution. That's drive-by installs, etc. Yeah, that, and there's a couple other patches uh, that we didn't discuss before the podcast that I wanted to slip in really quickly as well. There's a critical flaw in SAP that was fixed this week. So if you are an SAP shop, you should probably look into that. Uh, the other one, I suppose, that we didn't really talk about on the chat chat that's been brewing the last couple of weeks is some critical flaws in WordPress, including a flaw in their 
uh, one of the default themes that shipped with WordPress, and there was also a flaw in the commenting system that's built into WordPress. Now, while while we're talking about updating automatically, there you know there was a lot of focus on Lenovo uh, a month or two ago related to this Superfish software that had been installed that was doing SSL man in the middle intercepts on on Lenovo laptops, and of course, I think Lenovo responded quite well by admitting fault and immediately trying to help uh, rectify that situation. Just to summarize that, if I may, Chester, that they put out a, they did come up with a, here's how you remove it and here's a removal tool. And also, if I'm not wrong, Lenovo did go away and lick their wounds a bit and then come out a little bit later and say, you know what, we thought it was a good idea. We weren't making any money out of this super fish. We just thought it would be quite cool to have a bit of sort of extra value. Turns out there was extra cost that maybe you didn't want. My understanding is that in the future, Lenovo will tend to ship with less uh, on the grounds that they think that that is more. And I agree that, you know, you get a laptop with some utilities and the operating system, but not a zillion other, hey, you might really like this. Because after all, if, if you do like them, you can go and add them on yourself. Well, that's true, I guess. So we won't be getting an AOL Verizon shortcut on the desktop of our new Lenovo's anymore. But um, <laughs> this system update utility flaw uh, was a little bit of a concern for folks because anytime your computer's going out and automatically retrieving executable code, you want to make sure that that transaction is very carefully authenticated, right? Because you don't want someone to be able to slip in some sort of binary that your computer is going to execute as an administrator by accident. And that looks like what may have happened here was there was a little bit of a, a verification flaw. Is that what you call it? Anybody could be the person that said, hey, I want to trigger an update and talk to this background updating uh, process. And not only could anybody talk to it, anybody could send any command that they liked. So it was basically elevation of privilege, vulnerability, all the way up to system level. Uh, the neat thing about it is that they published an update to system update, which was applied through system update and slammed the door behind itself. So a very nice way, rounded way of closing the hole. And uh, if you're worried about that particular Lenovo hole, then uh, you can go to nakedsecurity.sophos.com, search for Lenovo, we show you how to make objectively sure that uh, your system update tool has been correctly patched. Great. That's good advice. Now, you know, we have a tendency to uh, make everything into a big deal, it seems like, lately when it comes to security. Everything is, uh, you know, an, a, a, the end of the world scenario, it seems like. And in this case, uh, the, it has the great name of USB kill, which on the surface sounds like it would actually kill my USB ports. There are times when I've, you know, considered that a good idea, especially uh, after some of the flaws we've heard about in USB in the last year. But in this case, it's not killing the USB ports. It's sort of killing your laptop, right? Yes, I think it's a question of trying to get a name to fit the product that sounds cool. I assumed like you when I read about this, I thought, oh, it's something that, you know, you press some emergency key combination and it shuts off all your USB ports. So somebody who's trying to stick a probe in or copy data off gets thwarted. Actually, all it does is it watches for changes in the status of what you've got plugged in once you've activated this thing. And if something changes in your USB world, then it instantly powers the computer off, which means that then you're not left logged in where someone could confiscate a running computer where they don't need to crack any passwords. I would have thought that if you saw someone naughty coming up, couldn't you just close the lid of your laptop? 
But it got quite a bit of publicity, this USB kill thing, because it's supposedly a way of protecting yourself from unwanted or unwarranted surveillance. Yeah, I'm, I'm of two minds about this. I mean, the, the certainly the value of full disk encryption is only useful when the computer has been powered down, right? And so, well, you know, locking it helps. Um, depends if you've got FireWire or if you've got access to the PCIe bus through things like a, a lightning connector. There's potential to recover the keys still if the machine's powered up. And so there, there is value in powering down to make sure that your full disk encryption truly protects you. The other irony, of course, with this USB kill program is it is a bit of a hack. It's a, it's a, a Python script. And, of course, to do all the USB shenanigans, uh, it has to run as root. So you start this whole thing up as root. So, of course, if, if the cops do grab you and they do wrest you away from your computer before you can yank out your 3G modem or whatever, then you better hope there are no vulnerabilities in there, in that script running as root. Otherwise, they could be rubbing their hands with glee because you might just have given them an elevation of privilege tool as well, which means not only did they get your computer logged in, uh, they may be able to promote themselves to root and uh, get it absolutely everything. Last but not least, uh, we'll have a story here to remind folks that there's no such thing as a secret URL, in particular if that URL has any predictable components in it. Now, this story actually goes back a little bit of time related to, is it PhotoBucket? Um, you know, a lot of these sites where you share things, whether it's uh, sharing your photos on Facebook or Dropbox or Box.com, these types of things, you have the thing, you know, send a link to a friend to, you know, to, to share this photo. And of course, that relies on the fact that that link is only ever going to go to your friend or anybody who has that link can see those photos, right? That's correct. So it's, it's obscurity, not security. Um, the problem in this particular case, it's something known rather rudely as fusking, which is uh, where you go out and gather photos that other people don't really want you to see that are at secret URLs and then publish them to their embarrassment. Dodgy selfies, for example. And these two guys who were busted in this case were doing exactly that a few years ago. Uh, the problem was in this case that the URLs weren't just obscure rather than truly secret they were unfortunately guessable so once you knew roughly where to go looking instead of adding long hexadecimal hash string dot jpg uh, they were able to guess things like one dot jpg two dot jpg and accumulate lots of photographs for example of celebs that they then offered for sale unlawfully the law has caught up with these alleged criminals at last, and they have been arrested. So, two warnings. One, the fact that you, a URL can be downloaded doesn't give you the right to do that. Definitely doesn't give you the right to redistribute what you find there. And two, as you say, there ain't no such thing as a secret URL once you tell somebody else. Well, yeah, I, I, I use OwnCloud to share a lot of files with uh, friends and family, and I always use the feature in it that uh, allows you to set a password and you can even expire a link. You can say, hey, you know, there's a, a password to download it. And in addition to that, after 10 days, make this inaccessible, for example. And that, that helps a little bit with uh, keeping that frictionlessness of just, hey, click a link, grab a file. But on the side, I'm going to give you a phone call or maybe I'll text you and say, by the way, the password is uh, unicorn princess or whatever it is. And, and that helps provide that little extra layer of security. And those little steps like that only take two or three extra seconds, right? Like, it's not that big a deal. A little bit of effort can go a long way toward protecting your information rather than counting on that obscurity. And it's a sort of uh, 2FA, isn't it? 
that you send the URL via one channel, e.g. email, and you send the password that you need to go with it as well via SMS, um, you've actually just done two-factor authentication. And as you say, the idea of when you're, when, you're pub, when you're putting stuff where it might be accessed by the wrong people later, don't put it there in a way that it will stay there forever unless you remember to remove it. As you say, if there's an auto-expire feature, use it so that the file will disappear from the public record unless you actually take steps to make it survive. That's a much safer thing because it means if you forget, everything fails safe. Precisely. So on that note, we'll wrap up Software Security Chat Chat 198. As always, for the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. You can get all of our podcasts via RSS on the TuneIn app over at the iTunes store or anywhere else you find quality podcasts or at soundcloud.com slash Safa Security. Until next time, stay secure.